One of the key words that we find in the first several verses of our passage today from 12 to 15 is the word reminder. We see it three times in those verses. I'm going to remind them of these things. I'm going to remind them of these things so that they can recall these things. And Peter, as we, as we see in this passage, is, is coming towards the end of his life. He talks about putting aside his tent where he anticipates that it's not going to be long before he steps into eternity. What do you do when you face impending death and you have parting words that you want to communicate to people you love? What do you share with them? What, what, are, what are the things that become most important to you? What are the things at the forefront of your, your attention? The things that you want to impart to them, the things you want to leave them with so that they can carry out the commands or exhortations or encouragements or truth claims that you bring to them. What is it that you say to them? What do those parting words look like? I can, maybe you can remember even, or think about in your, in your mind's eye, the, the gathering at the bedside of somebody that you love, uh, a person who is on their, their deathbed. They're, they're, they're about to slip into eternity, and, and especially for those who love the Lord Jesus, who have a committed faith in Christ and want to impart words of encouragement and support to you, the words that they give are words that will be significant, critical, essential. I am thinking about, uh, about the parting words of a man named Mike Brown. And he gathered around him this, this massive family, those who came to, to see him in the last few days of his life. And, and Mike Brown had on his heart what would establish his family for themselves, not just in this life. He didn't care about their best life now. He cared about their life in eternity. He cared about what the future would hold, what the kingdom would bring, the, 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 the kingdom of Christ would bring into their hearts. He cared about the gospel fundamentally. And so every conversation that he had with his family members was punctuated by the gospel. Everything that he shared in those final moments of his life were saturated and steeped in a commitment to Christ and the glory of God and, and seeking to usher his family into a better understanding of who Jesus was and introduce them as those who didn't know Jesus for themselves personally, to invite them and introduce them to the Savior and to, to draw them in to a relationship with Jesus. Peter, in this situation, I, I, I get a sense of, of the similar urgency that Peter recognizes that he is shortly to leave, depart this life, and to move into the next life, to move into eternity. And so he wants to establish for them, he wants to encourage this church to remember. Remember the things that will carry you. Remember the things that are of utmost importance. Remember the things that are essential for the Christian life and for eternity. We know something about reminders, don't we? What are some of the ways that you try to remember? Um, maybe certain different things like tying a, a string around your finger. Anyone ever try that one? 
That's kind of something that happened before the age of, uh, of computers and, and cell phones. But we have calendar reminders. We have text messages. Uh, just this, this past week, I got a, a whole series of, of, of text messages from my dentist who wanted to remind me of an appointment that I have on Thursday that I would rather choose to forget. We have the notifications on our phone. We have the alarms with, with certain notifications that come up. Yeah, got to take our medication or we, we need to make sure that we're picking up our kids from the various activities that they're involved in. Maybe you have written a message on your mirror that you can remember. Maybe there is a, a picture in your house or a, a verse that, that continues to call attention to the things you want to set in front of yourself. Maybe there's that note on the refrigerator, do not eat the cake. Or maybe you, like my wife, um, help your husband by, by putting the important things right there next to the wallet and the keys so when they, when they go to, to leave and, and to go to, to work or for me to go to church, um, I, I can't forget because it's right there, even though sometimes, somehow, I, I, I reach over the thing I'm supposed to remember and, and just take off. The truth is that when we call ourselves or when others call us to remembrance, they're calling us to something important. You don't choose to remember or notify yourself to remember things that are, that are unimportant. You choose to remember the things that should stand out in your mind. You know, God has created reminders in life. From the, from the very beginning of creation, God has established certain reminders. The, the sun and the stars, which are a reminder as the heavens declare the glory of God. So, so every time we look at the sky and we see the spectacle of the stars and the sun and the moon, it, it is to call our attention, to remind us of the wonder of who God is, the creator. And then, of course, as as Noah steps off the ark, there, there is a, a, a reminder that's written across the sky in terms of a rainbow to remember that God judges iniquity. He will judge and condemn sin, but he'll also preserve his people. He'll rescue them. He'll help them. And, and that this establishes the fact that, that God will always, for all time, never destroy the earth by means of a flood again. It's trustworthy. It's sure. And the sign of the rainbow helps to confirm that God will keep his promises. It's a, it's a reminder to us that God is faithful. Of course, when the people of Israel left the the nation of Egypt and stepped into the promised land. They, they crossed the Jordan and, and God had in mind that they would remember. In Joshua chapter 4, 6 and 7, this is the command, this, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones uh, mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. 
as the people crossed through this Jordan River and as the heads of the families carried a stone from the middle of the Jordan and then set it up on the, the other side, it was supposed to be this continual reminder that God delivers, God is faithful, God will establish his people, God will fulfill his promises. You can trust him. And then moving to the New Testament, of course, the remembrance that we celebrate in terms of communion. The, the body and, the, and the, the, the bread and the cup that symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus. And on, and on two occasions in this love feast that we celebrate, this ordinance, Jesus wants to call attention to his disciples. Remember, remember, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then this is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Reminder, re reminders are important. And Peter, in this next section, this, this passage, wants to help establish a reminder for his people, for the churches that he's come to love, for, for those who have been spread and scattered across the known world. He wants them to remember something important. So that's where we come first. We, we come to the significance of this word, the significance of the, the reminder that Peter will give to these people. We see it there in verse 12. It says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. These were things that this church already knew. These were things that had already established this church and had, had brought them into the faith. These are not new truths that Peter has in mind. These are the continuing truths, the, the truths that, that, that initiated spiritual life in them and then will lead them to the finish line. It is the first and final word. Maybe you say the first and continuing word. It's the word that will fix them. It's the word that will help mature them. It's the, the, the gospel of Christ that, that starts small. And the more we come to understand the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of who God is, the more we grow in maturity in the Christian life. It's the first and final word. We find that Peter is nearing the end of his life these are, in some respects, his parting words to this church, his last letter that, that we have record of to this church. And as we'll see, it's not new truth that Peter has in mind. It's a truth that they have had from the beginning. And Peter wants to ensure that they remain faithful, that they understand the significance of this truth, the essential quality of this truth to help settle them as God's people. And so it's significant as Peter's final word to, to remind them. This word to remember or recall, to, to recollect. It's the same word that, that Jude will use in his little letter in verse 5. He, he calls attention to the, the same kinds of things where he says, I want to remind you, which is the same word that Peter uses, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. It's also the same word that Jesus uses in the upper room. The, the word that right before his death, his parting words essentially to his disciples, he, he wants them to remember and to know 
that the truths they heard during his ministry are the truths that will help carry them and make them fruitful and effective in the commissioning that Christ had given to them. In John 14, 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance, which is the same word, all that I have said to you. The significance of remembrance. So what are they to remember? What does Peter ask them to remember, to think about? Well, the answer is perhaps a little less than obvious. Notice it says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Now that's unexpected, at least for me. It's a little surprising. I would think that as, as Paul, the apostle Paul says, I, I, want to re- I want you to remember Jesus Christ. I want you to remember the gospel. I want you to remember certain basic truths about who God is. But, but, but Peter here says, I want you to remember these qualities. <laughs> what, what qualities is he, re- is he referring to? Well, he's, he's referring to the, re- the qualities that he's already talked about in verses 3 to 8. Uh, the qualities that he references in verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10. Notice, verse 8 says, For if these things, or if these qualities, are yours and abound. In verse 9 he says, For he who lacks these things, or he who lacks these qualities, continuing to draw attention to those qualities he mentioned in verses 3 to 8. And then in verse 10, Be even more diligent to make your call in the election sure, For if you do these things, these qualities, you will never fall. What qualities? Well, the qualities that he references is in verses 3, 5 to 8. The quality of faith, the quality of virtue, in knowledge, in self-control, in perseverance, in godliness, in brotherly affection, in love. Those eight qualities that help to demonstrate the fruit of a life. And so, these qualities, while Paul and Christ would refer back to qualities that point them to the gospel, Peter is kind of doing a a backdoor approach to, to get to the same goal, where he says, these qualities, I want you to direct your attention to are pointing to something. These qualities, if they're in your life, will point to power, as we saw in verse 3. If, if these qualities are in your life, you will know that you have indwelling power. It's essentially the fruit of indwelling power, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Peter kind of describes those same fruits just in, in different terms, but, but essentially it's, it's the same evidence of the Holy Spirit's indwelling power in your life. And if you have these qualities, you have power. And if you have the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, then it points to grace, as we saw in verse 2. This gift of grace and peace that comes through knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And if you have that, if you have the grace and peace of God through the knowledge of God, then you also have, as we found in verse one, like precious faith. <laughs> so, so, so Peter's getting back to like precious faith. He's getting back to the beginning, but he, but he wants to know the essential qualities of life that will help prove as substantial evidence that in fact you have the like precious faith that Peter is referring to. You're, you're not just giving lip service to like precious faith. You can't just argue good knowledge and defend the doctrines and the truths of the scripture. But those truths that you know from the Bible are truths that are bearing fruit in your life. As Jesus will say in the parable in Matthew chapter 13, in describing the soils, he talks about the soil that evidences genuine saving faith is the is the soil that bears fruit. Every other soil is just counterfeit. <laughs> so, so Peter, he's directing his attention, the audience, to understand the significance, the importance of this reminder that underscores the, the significance of these qualities, the evidence of real, genuine faith in them. And Peter says in verse 8, if these qualities are yours, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful, which helps us to understand, and, and as we see through the rest of the New Testament, that fruitfulness is, a, is an evidence for true saving conversion. And then in verse 9, he says, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Blindness, of course, is the New Testament term for those who are unconverted, those who have no saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you have these qualities in your life, you can know and it will confirm that in fact you are a believer. This is really important for this church. Because in this church are people who give lip service to like precious faith, but have no actual relationship with God. And they're seeking to, to convince, uh, they're seeking to teach, they're seeking to influence the people in this church and carry them away from God. And, and Peter says, you need to understand that unless these qualities are in place, you have nothing in common with those people. There's nothing that would, that would convince you that they have any authority. There's nothing that should, should convince you that there's any real substantial faith in their life that is worthy of following. Don't trust them. Don't follow after them. Beware of them. Be on guard. Know what to look for. The word of God. That is the first and final word. Then also in verse 12, it's the word that was established. The word that established them from the very beginning. This is the word to know and to establish. They're in the, the perfect tense, which, which again points back to something that happened early, or early in their life with God. Their conversion was based upon knowledge of God and based upon God establishing them in the faith. And as they continue to recognize the way that God has established them and through the truths that, that helped to anchor them in the faith, that same truth, that same word will carry them to the finish line. 
It will continue to establish them. This is encouraging, I think, for a couple of reasons. First, it's encouraging because regardless of the continuum of faith that you're on, most likely you don't need new truth. Most likely, especially for those who have grown up at Maranatha, it's not that you need access to new truth. You just need to build on the old truths that you have and apply them in new ways. That, as Jesus will say, and help to encourage his audience about the innocent faith of the children. Unless one believes as a little child, you'll not see the kingdom of God. And so, for, for those of you who feel like new believers, those of you who have only been fresh in the faith, and, and, and you look to those who are older and more mature, and you, and you think, how will I ever get to be like that? It's based upon the same foundation. The same foundations of faith put to work in your life are the same foundations, the same truths that will carry you from one stage of spiritual maturity to the other. As you take that knowledge, you apply that knowledge by building out these qualities that we learned last week and then take it to the next step in growing in your, in your knowledge and experience of the Lord Jesus. So be encouraged. You don't have to feel like you're missing something. You have the word of God. Press into the word. Know the word and let the word of God and the spirit of God inform your heart and carry you in, spirit, in the spiritual life. Second, is if you're growing or going to continue in the Christian life and grow in maturity, then you need to rekindle a love for the Bible. I love how David puts it in Psalm 1. He says, <laughs> I had it for a second. Um, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. Why? Because the power of the indwelling spirit is within him and, and allowing the purposes of God to be fulfilled through him. The qualities of godliness and faith will carry them to the next level of maturity if you allow the truth of God's word to anchor your heart, establish your heart, be the bedrock foundation for your heart, and you keep running back to truth, and you let your life be saturated by the word of God. Allow the truth of God's word to carry you and to grow you into spiritual maturity. Peter will continue to describe the significance of reminder in verses 13 to 15 where he says, I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Can, can you hear the urgency in Peter's words? Can, can you sense the desire, the yearning of his heart for this church to be established in Christian virtue and truth? 
He wants to remind them of the things that matter. He wants to tell them the things that will help establish them as God's people. He has committed himself, even though he's looking at the impending death, he's looking at how the legacy of truth will carry itself out in the next generation of believers. And we in this room are beneficiaries of that kind of vision. The vision, the Peter-like vision of passing on the legacy of spiritual truth to those who will not only know the truth, embrace the truth, obey the truth, but also pass that truth off to the next generation. I think of this significance of, of this second uh, core value that we have built. In building, we say it's leading every person one step closer to Jesus. If you are a believer this morning, that is one of your purposes. Not just the purpose of this gathering that we have as a, as a corporate fellowship, but it is a responsibility that every single one of us have in every conversation that we're a part of to somehow help to point and direct the people that we're talking to in the faith, in our Christian family, point them to Jesus just a little bit more than the moment before. And as parents and teachers and leaders of Maranatha, those who are members here, what legacy are we leaving behind? What reminders are you giving to the next generation? What truths do you want to settle their heart in? What ways are you trying to, to better their life and to prepare them for the future? Do we keep coming back to the foundational truths of the scripture? Last night I was reading and praying through Psalm 78 and that's, it wasn't a coincidence because one of, the, one of the, the primary goals of Psalm 78 is to, is to encourage the readers, the listeners of this song, to recognize the significance of reminder to the next generation. Notice, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. We will not hide them from our children, but tell Excuse me, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the words of God, but keep his commandments. That these qualities are yours and abound. I want to remind you of these qualities so you can be established. You know them. I want you to be established in them. And I want the next generation of those who trust and believe in Jesus to carry the mantle to that next generation after them. The significance of reminder and not only telling your kids the truth, but helping your kids recognize the correlation between truth and practice. For example, when you talk about the omniscience of God or the omnipresence 
of God. And your, and your child is afraid of the dark and, and doesn't want to turn the lights off and is, and is afraid because of, of something that might happen, you can say, do you know that God is everywhere present? Do you know God is here in this room right now? Do you know that God knows the, the, the things that are going on in your heart? Do you know that he cares about the anxieties that you feel? Do you realize that because God is present, that you can look to him and pray to him and you can express your desire for him to help you and he will hear you? Help. Help your kids know not just the truth, but how that truth relates to life. We have the responsibility of passing on the significant word to the next generation and to those who are, you are in community with here at Maranatha. It is a significant word, but it is also a certain word. We see that in verses 16 to 19. The certainty of the word. It wouldn't do any good for Peter just to say, I think this is important. Unless he was able to point to something with credibility. Unless he was able to, stay, to say with no uncertain terms that the truth claims that I give to you can be depended on, that they're stable, that they're fixed. And that's what he says here in these next several verses. We find the confirmation of this word coming in three different ways. First, confirmed by visible majesty. Confirmed by visible majesty. Peter will say, we're eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw the pre-incarnate Christ in terms of his glory that came on the Mount Transfiguration. We saw the result of power. The power of Christ was visible to us, so we saw it. Notice, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power in coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is important. Because what Peter will do in chapter 2, in chapter 3, will help draw a contrast, a distinction between the counterfeit false teachers and what they seek to promote and what a true believer will, will believe and embrace and how that will shape his future, his thinking. Peter uses this word to follow, which is used three times in the New Testament. All of them are found in 2 Peter. And it's a, it's a word that, that, that draws attention to following or imitating, to copy or to mimic. We didn't, we didn't mimic these false teachers. We, we didn't seek to conform ourselves to them. We stood strong on the truths of the word of God. We were committed to the promises that he gave to us and we were committed to the truth claims that he, that he gave. You see, who you follow indicates who you believe. And Peter wants this church to, to recognize and to understand we followed the Savior. We followed after his truth. We did not conform ourselves to the cleverly devised myths, the, the convincing, the maybe logical arguments, maybe conventional wisdom of the day. We chose to believe and anchor our hope and trust in the truth claims of God. We'll look at this more closely once we get into chapter three. 
But, but we see something about the, the, the commitment that Peter has to a truth and what truth that is. Notice he says, he says, when we made known to you the power in coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is that important? The power in coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember back in verse 4, where Peter talks about very great and precious promises that will help you escape corruption and help you to enjoy the divine nature. And we said when we went through that verse that the promises that he's referring to, we're going to see more clearly in chapter 3, the promise of the coming of Christ. And that's what he's coming to again in this section. What were those promises? And the the false teachers or the false prophets will, will call into question the coming of Christ in chapter 3, verse 4. They'll say, where is, the power, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Just look around. You can see that things have, have, have been the same way uh, for, for centuries. There's no accountability. There's no coming of Christ. You don't have to worry about, about a judge who is going to, you're going to stand before someday. We know better than that. Paul alludes to the same type of thing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. He says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. The sign of the times, the indication that, we're, that the end is near and the coming of Christ is imminent will be a world that jettisons standard and speaks about the peace and safety they have uh, re- that's independent of accountability. And then you'll know that the end is, is coming soon. The Lord is coming. The world will say, forget it. There's no need to consider accountability. If he was going to come, he would have come already. But the false teachers, of course, are wrong. And Peter will appeal to the evidence, the evidence of the transfiguration, which in Peter's mind was an indication not only of the present glory that Jesus enjoyed, but an indication of the future glory that was certain because he saw it show up on that mountain. In all the synoptic gospel, gospels, the, the transfiguration follows a promise of the coming kingdom of Christ. And so, Peter has made a connection. A connection between the promise of his future coming and the evidence of his transfiguration, which demonstrated his resident majesty, his glory that was present. So he knew, yes indeed, he's coming, I saw it. He is the glorified, majestic, reverent one. We can trust him. This term, dunamis, which is power, and parousia, or coming, should be interpreted together, not separately. They don't designate two different things, but speak of the powerful coming of Christ. And parousia, it's used 16 times in the New Testament 
to describe the, the coming of Christ, but in every single case, it's referencing a future coming, not the first coming, the incarnation of Christ. It's always anticipating this future powerful day when Jesus will come in glory for his people. And Peter helps to provide the evidence of this eyewitness account. We saw his glory and we can be sure that he is coming because we saw it. We had this visible manifestation of his glory and we can be certain that he will make good on his word in the future. It was confirmed by this visible witness but also confirmed by audible testimony as we see in verses 17 and 18. Notice, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice from heaven. We were eyewitnesses and we're also earwitnesses. We heard it. We heard the voice from heaven confirm the message of Christ, confirm the person of Christ, this audible testimony from God the Father himself. It is a trustworthy word. It is a certain word because we heard the Father speak from heaven to confirm his son during this event. Of course, there were three situations in which God the Father spoke about his son at his baptism here on the Mount of Transfiguration and also directly after the triumphal entry in John chapter 12. We don't have time to go there, but the, the voice of God the Father speaks and confirms his son. Heaven speaks. You have the authority of God himself to confirm the identity of his son, Jesus Christ. He is the confirmed word. And finally, we have the confirmation of written prophecy. The confirmation of written prophecy in verse 19, the first part. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. We'll talk about this more next week, but this more fully confirmed is, the, is one Greek word. It's used eight times in the New Testament, and, and it speaks of that which is guaranteed, that which is verified, that which is dependable and certain and fixed and established, immovable. You can believe it. It's trustworthy. It's a foundation that will never change. Peter uses this same word in verse 10 of 2 Peter where he talks about, uh, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm, that's the word, to establish your calling and election. You do that by seeing the evidence of the Spirit in your life. And you also do that this morning by tethering your heart to the steadfast, sure word of God. As the word of God becomes for you significant, you're saturating your life with the testimony of the word. You will enjoy the settledness that comes for those who trust in the scripture. I want to leave you just with this. You have a sure word. The sure word of God. Unlike any other religion, 
unlike any other people group, unlike those who are advocates for science, science that changes, seems like every single week there's a, there's a new flavor of science. But the truth of God's word is fixed. It's been established from the beginning. You can believe it. We have the, the joy of founding our heart, of building our heart on the rock that never fails. And as you build your life on the rock, and what Jesus is referring there to there is not only knowing what the truth says, but believing and obeying the truth. He says, those who hear my words and believe in my words, obey my words, are like the man who built his house on the rock. Because that's really what it boils down to. True faith leads to true obedience. What you truly believe will play out in how you live. And when our life shows the testimony of what we truly believe, we invite others to participate as they see the settledness, as they see the, the hope that is fixed and certain. We see, they see that, that regardless of the circumstances that we experience, the difficulties and challenges that we go through, that there is this settledness in us. There's this abounding joy, this, this power of God to, to express love and kindness even though our enemies are coming after us. We can love those who persecute us. We can pray for those who despitefully use and persecute us because we believe that God is sovereign over all. When we believe the truths and build them into our life, our life is a tapestry for the glory of God. And people see the picture of what Christ is doing in us and it invites them to participate in the gospel. May our life show the wonder of who God is through those who believe in the truth and who show these qualities of faith. Oh Lord, I pray that you would help us as we stumble through this life. May the power of God carry us. Thank you for this reminder this morning. The significance of the word and also the certainty of this word. Thank you that we, like nobody else on this planet, can anchor our life on a truth that is fixed, that is certain, that is unchangeable. And because of that, Lord, I pray that our life would show the testimony of those who believe in you and invite others to participate. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. God bless you this week.